right, all right. What is up? Welcome to the Fitness Your Future podcast. I am your host, Edgar Garcia, also known as Edge, Big Edge, as some of my colleagues know me as. We are back with another episode for the Fitness Your Future podcast. This episode is entitled The Kathleen Trotter Story. In this episode of the FYF podcast, Let's just say that I met a stranger on the internet. Yep, that's right. Today we're going to talk about my recent date from Tinder. So, it was a lovely day at Hayes, Kansas, and I matched with this lovely lady on the Tinder app. And we chit-chatted a bit, and we decided to meet up at our local restaurant called This Story is Fake and Edge Does Not Do Online Dating. That restaurant is a bar and grill, by the way, which is my favorite type of restaurant. Now, why did I made up that story in the first place? Allow me to give you a few reasons why. First of all, it actually ties into the main theme of this episode. Now, I'm no dating expert, so take my dating advice with a grain of salt. When we... Look at dating in general, we have a goal in mind that would get us from point A to point B. In this case, point A would be that you're single and you're looking for a partner. And point B is when you finally got yourself that special someone. When it comes to dating, there are so many pathways to Get yourself from point A to point B. For example, you can find your potential partner at multiple particular settings depending on your specific preferences like school, work, the gym, church, book clubs, the bar, the club, dating apps, and so many particular settings. It all comes down to you depending on your preferences. For example, when it comes to me, I don't prefer using dating apps unless I have to. For my personal preference, I would much rather meet my future partner in a traditional way. But when it comes to others, dating apps may work for others and also matches with their personal preference, and circumstances. As you can see, it all depends on their personal preferences and circumstances. And that is why there are so many pathways when it comes to dating to get you from point A to point B. And that is the same thing when it comes to achieving your health and fitness goals. There are so many pathways for you to go from point A to point B when it comes to health and fitness. And that is one that I decided to interview Kathleen Trotter. I wasn't kidding about the meeting a random stranger on the internet part of the story. Basically, how I met with Kathleen is some random public relations company slid into my DMs and then they told me, hey, we would like to introduce Kathleen. She is a fitness expert that has been involved with the fitness industry for many years 
and we believe she would be a great guest for your podcast. So I've decided to check out Kathleen's website and her past interviews to get a good idea what her philosophy is and see if she has the necessary credentials to speak with you. And it turns out I really like what she has done in the past and the present. So I believe she would give a good portion of you guys some good advice and guidance today. If you've seen my recent Instagram post, for now on, each episode will have its own unique category. Like I said in the post, since there are multiple pathways to improve your health and wellness, I will be interviewing a variety of people who had their own fair share of unique experiences that relates to improving health and wellness. Each episode will have its own unique category. That way, it will help you guys gain some knowledge, inspiration that best fits with your specific goals, needs, and personal preference. That way, I want to make it easier for each and every single one of you to find and listen some certain FYF episodes that matches with your specific goals, needs, and personal preference. So this episode falls into the HHP professional and health enthusiast category. With Kathleen being a health expert and having a master's degree in exercise science, she obviously falls into the HHP professional category. And she also falls into the health enthusiast category. And you'll see why in just a minute. And if you're confused about the categories and stuff, just go to my Instagram post and I have like definitions of each and every single one of them. So other than that, we'll go ahead and get this interview started. You're about to listen to the Kathleen Trotter story. Enjoy. Welcome to the Fitness Your Future podcast, episode 12. This episode is entitled, The Kathleen Trotter Story. Today, I have a very unique guest for the Fitness Your Future podcast. I got a person who's been involved with the health industry for quite some time. So, I ended up getting Kathleen Trotter, so... She has a lot of credentials under her belt. So other than that, I'm going to go ahead and let her introduce herself. So Kathleen, you want to go ahead and take it away? Oh, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm like blushing. What a love, what a lovely introduction. So yeah, this is me. I'm Kathleen and I'm here to tell you about health and wellness and hopefully get you inspired to, you know, as you listen to this podcast, so go for a walk, have some water. You're just like going to be like, yes, I want to exercise because uh, fitness is fun or at least it can be right. Oh yeah, for sure. So who knows how long we're going to talk about. So it could be an hour, an hour and a half or two hours. So We'll see how this goes. Fun though. That's that we know for sure. We're going to bring the fitness fun. Alrighty. Awesome. So let's go ahead and start with our first question. How many years of experience you've been part of this business? 
Um, I guess about 20 years, but like so many things it evolved. Like, so I, as I said before, like I started out my life, I was not active and, um, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer to be honest. Um, but then when I was, I guess I was early high school, my mom was just like, you know, we have to find a way, um, for you to be active. And she's like, so, you know, before this, she'd encouraged me to do things like ballet and like do things with people my own age. And she was like, okay, that obviously is not working. Um, but being active has to be a non-negotiable, but how you're active is, you know, up to you. So instead of trying to fit a square peg into a round hole, let's figure out your fit. Um, so, you know, I started walking on the treadmill and then I started walking a little bit more and then I started doing weights, which led me to take aerobics classes, um, which eventually got me to teach aerobics classes. So that, um, I mentioned that story only because that's sort of how I got into the business. But when I got into it, it really was, okay, well, I'm going to just teach aerobics classes, um, in order to sort of help put myself through university, like make a little bit extra money. And then I was like, okay, I'll do some personal training to put myself through university. But really what I always thought is that eventually I would uh, be a lawyer and go to law school. So it it didn't get into the business thinking like, this is my career. Um, It just sort of slowly morphed. um, So it's more like a little side hustle type. Yeah. And it evolved slowly evolved with like, you know, I'd have these clients and I'd be going to university and then, you know, in the evening I'd have clients and eventually my clients were like, like, why do you want to do something else? Like you're really good at this and you obviously really like it. And so finally I was like, well, I don't know, maybe these people are right. So when I finished uh, university, I was like, well, instead of going to law school, why don't I do a year of Pilates equipment training? So I did that. And then I was like, okay, well, you know, I'm still not ready to go to law school. So then I did like, then I I don't know what I did next. Like maybe I started my fascial stretch therapy. And then eventually I was like, well, why would I even go back to law school? Like let's uh, do a master's in exercise science. So that's in the end what I decided to do. But it really wasn't like, it's not like at 15 when I started walking on the treadmill, I was like, well, this means I'm going to be a personal trainer. Absolutely not. It was, you know, it's sort of what I tell my clients now is you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to get great. And that's sort of what happened to me. Like I didn't start with the intention of being a personal trainer or the intention of running marathons or any of that. I just really started because my mom was like, you have to do something. And, um, that was the only really thing she could make me do. And, you know, at the time it was, it was sort of feasible and we just did that. And then the small baby steps. And now here I am today. Awesome. So let's go ahead and dive deep into your more into your backstory. So I want to go ahead and ask you what got you into fitness in the first place. Yeah, really, it was my mom. Like, I, I, I can't give her enough credit. She really was very intelligent at sort of saying, let's find um, the recipe of fitness that works for you. Um, and so she was a single mom, and I spent a lot of time in my life with adults because she was in the theater. She's an actress, she, so I would, you know, go to the theater and hang out with her. So eventually what she just sort of said to me is, obviously being active with your peers is not working. Like, I was just too embarrassed. I just felt too at a place like not I don't know I just I didn't feel good in my own skin Um, and being with my peers just made me feel worse and so what she said was like okay fine but you can't just sit and watch television for 12 hours a day Um, I loved growing up I loved Beverly Hills 90210 and so like that's what I would have done for like you know after school for six hours Um, so she said fine but like so we got to find a way that exercise can work for you and so that's when we went to the YMCA because the Y the demographic was sort of like over 40 and under 5 so there wasn't a lot of people my own age I felt more comfortable Um, and that's where the transition really 
really began, but it was a, it was, as you said, it was an evolution. I love that word. And that, like, that's really what it was. It, you know, went from 10 minutes of walking to 20 minutes of walking to, you know, that I would do some Jane Fonda workouts at home. And then I was trying some exercise classes. And so, you know, and then eventually I started to do some jogging and, you know, so I never, my 15 year old self never would have thought that I would be doing Ironmans, but like, that's what I did all the way through my twenties. So, um, I don't know. I, I always just try to explain to my clients that, you know, you just have to do something. Something is always better than nothing. And that you, it's not that that first step is the final step, but the first step is really important because it gets you going. Um, and I think a lot of times we get in our own way. Like we think, oh, well, you know, personal trainers, they've always been fit. They have it easy. And I've never been fit and I'm never going to be fit. And, and like, I know from your story, like you would agree with me that just because you spent some parts of your life not being active doesn't mean that that's your destiny, right? Like your destiny is what you decide your destiny is today. Um, and then you take the steps in order to create the, the fitter future you that you, that you want to be. I totally agree with your little take that you just gave to me. So, yeah, the thing is, like, I know our not everybody is, like, born with the best genetics in the world. Not everybody is born with that bodybuilder, six-pack body and stuff. The thing is, um, you can be whatever you want to be if you're willing to put in the work and effort into it. So, I actually... Glad that you mentioned my story as well. So I did put in quite a lot of work and effort. I may have to work a little bit harder than my than my colleagues, but I still ended up achieving my health and wellness goals. So another question I would like to ask you, uh, was your mom a fitness enthusiast as well? Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, my mom's always been active. Um, my mom's a, a much smaller human than me. Um, you know, she, I'm almost six feet tall. She's like five, two. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think she would did cheerleading in when she was, um, you know, in high school and she's active, like she's an actress. So she was active. She's always liked to work out, but I, I think my mom is a much more uh, moderate person than me. So as in like when I was inactive, I was very drastically inactive. And now that I'm active, I'm pretty drastically active. Whereas my mom has always been the queen of finding the middle ground. I actually really respect that about her. So she's never in her life been as active as me, uh, but she's never in her life been as inactive as I was for a long period as well. Like she's always the person who's, you know, gardening and walking and walking the dogs. And, and yeah, so she's very active, even though she doesn't like run marathons. Right. She just like performs regular physical activity is what yeah, you're saying. Yeah, I mean, and she's gone to the – yeah, I guess that is what I'm saying. But I'm also saying like it's not like she's gone through periods of her life where she's done a lot of yoga and she's gone to the gym. And so I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that like she's never had – I had 20 years of my life where I like literally didn't get off the sofa. And then I've had 20 years of my life where I do like Ironmans and marathons. Um but she's had her entire life where she's been active and she might have gone to the gym, but she hasn't um, gone to extremes. And she's oh. a great mentor in that way, right? Like she's similar with food. You know, she loves shortbread, for example, but she can have like half a shortbread and she's fine with it. Whereas I've always been the person, like it's harder for me to find that middle ground with anything. That's just like my personality. I'm much better at, like I love chocolate. So it's, it tends to be easier for me to have no chocolate because when I have chocolate, then I like want all the chocolate. So I'm working on it. You know, I'm, I, I definitely believe in, in therapy. I've been in therapy for 20 years and that's something that I, that I'm definitely trying to evolve into being somebody that's a little bit more moderate. Um, 
And I respect my mom for that, for sure. Cause she's, she's, she's good at listening to her body and listening to her sort of limits and sort of saying like, Nope, that's too much. And, 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 um, I've, I've always I've had more of a hard time with that than, than, yeah, but it's a great growth process. I'm learning. Right. I feel like a lot of people needs to have that trait while they were, I don't know, being physically active and then also being aware of their nutrition as well about like finding that middle ground, like you said. Yeah. The middle ground is, is key with health and wellness because people tend to uh, really like boom and bust, right? It's like either they're doing everything or they're doing nothing and finding something that's sustainable for the rest of your life. I mean, that is ultimately the key. Uh, but it's challenging and it takes work and, but that's okay. Like I'm a really big believer in uh, Carol Dweck's idea of growth mindset where, you know, everything, is, every experience is just data. So if you do have a week that you over-exercise and you're like, okay, that's interesting. Like I, that made me too tired. That was too much. I didn't have enough recovery. So then you're like, okay, let me learn about that. Or if you have a night where, you know, you know, you overdrink, you overeat, whatever you're like, okay, interesting. That's data. I didn't like how full that made me. So then tomorrow I'll eat a little bit less. And so instead of shaming yourself about experiences, like it all becomes something to learn from um, that's at least what how I try to live my life and I try to sort of help my clients with that as well because um, we're only human right like we're always going to make mistakes and we're going to say things that we're like oh I don't know about that and so you just have to be able to like nope I'm going to learn from this um, and grow yeah pretty much like the whole process it's pretty much a whole trial and error thing so it so, does yeah. take me a long it did took me a long time to actually find my optimal health routine after I went through my weight loss journey, it was harder than I thought. It was like harder than the actual weight loss journey itself. So yeah. it is challenging. So, but what a better, like what, there's nothing really better to work on, right? Like, yes, it's hard, but it's a huge problem of privilege, right? It's the problem of privilege of privilege of being alive. Like, you know, it's, it's, it's a wonderful thing to be able to wake up in the morning and be like, okay, like, what did I learn about my health and what can I do better tomorrow? And I mean, we only have this one life and we only have, it's a one precious life and one precious body, right? So if you're not kind of working to evolve it into something that you're proud of, then what else, like, where else are you going to put your energy, you know? Exactly. So, all right. Let's go ahead and transition to our next question. So I've done some research on on your website, and then I know the email that I received, that's how I heard about you in the first place. So I did read one part of the email that you tend to skip your gym classes. So I would like to ask you, was there a particular reason why you want to skip your gym classes? What I mean about that is... Was it the environment or was it the way the instructor delivers the class or were there other particular factors? Yeah, it's a great question. I think it just goes with what we've sort of chatted about before that I was in this place in my life where I felt really uncomfortable in my own skin and I felt particularly uncomfortable in my own skin with people my own age. I think that in the first half of my life, I was stuck in the comparison game of like, well, I look like this, but somebody else looks like that. And I should look like that. And, um, I was much taller than all the girls. I felt bigger, heavier, more awkward. Um, I moved around a lot because my mom was in the theater. She was a single mom. I was a single kid. We moved around. So I didn't have a lot of like consistency of friends. Um, well, I mean, I did, I have, I mean, I have friends that I've been friends with for my entire life, but like each time I went, I'd meet new people. Um, 
and that was hard. Um, I think just, I don't know, being a youth, I guess, is hard. And when it's, you're not your identity, like when being healthy and fit is not your identity, it's hard. Um, I don't know. I just felt, I felt gym class, but that was just one example of a place that I felt hard. Like, you know, as I said, my mom would try to put me into ballet and I would find that really awkward because I hated being in the little pink tutu and, you know, and then I would try softball and I found that really awkward because it was so anxiety producing to like what, like to have to catch the ball and then throw it. And like, it was, I don't think any of the examples are the important part of the story. Like, I don't think it was gym class or it was ballet or it was softball. I think it was just like anything that I tried because me at my heart and my core did not feel like sort of worthy. Like I just felt insecure. Um, and that's where this slow evolution over the last 20 years, and mostly it's been an evolution of feeling more secure in my own skin and feeling like, oh, well, I'm not really good at that, but like that doesn't mind her because I'm only going to get better if I try. Like recently I've tried pickleball and like I'm terrible at it. But like 20 years ago, I would have been like, oh, well, I'm bad at it. I should stop. And now I'm like, oh, I'm bad at it. Well, duh, I'm bad at it. Like I've only played it twice. Like, of course, I'm not going to be any good at it. Like the only way to get better is to just keep going. And I think that's the biggest difference in like the be- the older you get, the more emotionally mature you get, the more self-confident you get. It's like, you don't have to be good at everything because it's like, I'm no one is good at everything, first of all. And also things that I've never tried before, like it's not, it's not, it doesn't reflect poorly on me as a person if I'm bad at it. It's just like, I need practice. As a matter of fact, I just came out with a, with another question with your, with the take that you just made. Um, mm-hmm. What would you advise to somebody to go out and try some form of physical activity to achieve their their specific health goals or needs? I would advise people to just have curiosity and try a bunch of different things and nothing, it's not a bad or a good experience. It's just data. So if you go out and you try pickleball and you like it, great, do it again. If you try it and you're like, oh, I never want to do that again. Fine. Go out and try a dance class. And like, you're not going to know what you like before you do things and things will change. Like I remember when I first joined the Y and I was walking on the treadmill and I would look at the people beside me running and I'd be like, oh my God, like who would ever run? Like that's stupid. And now I run like every every day. Well, not every day, but I, you know, three to five days a week and I love it. And it's my bliss. And if I don't get to run, I'm so sad. So, um, I think that, you know, your taste buds towards exercise can change, but the biggest thing is to just be curious and don't be afraid. Like if you don't like something, no big deal, then try something else. Just have like different fitness adventures, try different, you know, at the gym, try different classes, try different instructors, try different machines. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, is that movement has to be thought of as a non-negotiable, but how you move is up to you. So try and see, and you know, it's all just data. Every experience is just data. Throughout your childhood and while you were growing up, uh, did you participate in any sports or other physical activities while you're going through school? I know you've mentioned about like ballet and, mm-hmm. and softball, yeah. were there other activities I mean, all I can say is my mom tried her best. So everything, I tried everything and hated everything. And like, meaning like I would try to not stick with it. Like she put me in hockey because my dad uh, played hockey. I tried, like, honestly, I tried modern dance. I tried, like my mom really believed in activity and wanted me to feel good in my skin. So I give her all the credit. It's just that everything I tried um, for the first 
until she got me to go to the Y was all with my peers. And I think that that was the big thing. Like I just really felt uncomfortable with people my own age. And that's why when she sort of said like, okay, we have to find a solution. That was just like the perfect solution. Because when I went to the Y and walked on the treadmill, like it was people, you know, it was like a 40 year old beside me. And I didn't, I, for whatever reason, I can't, I can't explain it, but I just, I did not feel as insecure with people that were older than me. And, and I just think that I spent so much time at the theater with my mom and everyone at the theater was older. Like it was just, I don't know. It's just what I felt more comfortable. Um, and so much of this journey is knowing yourself, right. And just saying, okay, well, if being active is a non-negotiable and you have to find the fit for you, like, what are the things that you like? And what do you, what are the things that you feel comfortable in? And what are your goals? Um, and get rid of that comparison. Like, well, this person's doing that. So I need to do that. Or my favorite celebrity goes to CrossFit. So then like, I have to do that. It's like, well, maybe you should go to CrossFit, but maybe you shouldn't. Like, maybe you should do modern dance. Only, only the people listening know what, what they like and what they should do. And if they don't know what they like, they need to just try like 25 different things and see. I know we l- do live in a society that we always tend to compare ourselves like towards others. And I know a lot of people who have an issue when it comes to that. I, I, me, honestly, I still kind of guilty about it too, but I am getting better to only compare myself towards myself yeah thrive in your own life exactly i would guess this is going to be the million dollar question of this episode so could you go ahead and describe me that aha moment that you want to take your health seriously and Mm -hmm. also the second part of that question is could you also tell me the experience that made you want to pursue to a career in health and wellness yeah, I I thought about this answer um, before our, our talk. I really don't think that there was one aha moment. I'm sure some people have the aha moment, but for me, it was sort of an aggregate of all my experiences, and it was a, it was this slow evolution. I think that you know when enough clients said to me like, "Why are you going to go be a lawyer? Like you're really good at this." Maybe the sort of like 200th person who said that to me, um, it made you know it just sort of eventually kind of gelled in my brain. I think, you know, there's that, that, um, saying that it's the, you know, the millionth coin makes you a millionaire. And the idea behind that saying is like, yeah, but if you hadn't have had all the coins that came before that millionth coin wouldn't make a difference. And I sort of feel like it's that, like, I just had enough experiences that finally I was like, right, like this is the path for me. Um, and sometimes I will even say like, I don't think that I picked this life, that this pick, this life picked me. Like it really, if you went back and you said to my 15 year old, like version of like, what do you want to be? I would say, I want to be a lawyer. Now I'm really glad I'm not a lawyer. Like my partner's a lawyer. And like, I look at his life and it's not, I mean, it's a great life and he loves it and he's good at it, but it's not for me, but it, uh, yeah. So the aha moment was more like a bunch of different moments that accumulated into this feeling of like, I am good at this and I love this. Um, and I don't want to leave this life. Um, but, but it wasn't, it wasn't one thing. So pretty much the whole thing in general, it was just a bunch of little things and then it piled up into a huge snowball effect and then it got bigger and bigger and that made you want to pursue into that career? 
I think that's a great way of putting it. The snowball effect is, is definitely it. I think that, you know, I put off going to law school so long. Like, I think there's probably a part of me when I was younger that knew that that wasn't for me or I wouldn't have kept putting it off. But I think it's also, you have to think like this was 20 years ago and personal training wasn't as much of a career. Like now, if you say you want to be a personal trainer, it is like a thing. But I think part of it um, was that growing up, you know, when people said like, what do you want to be? It was like, well, you want to be a teacher. You want to be a lawyer. You want to be a doctor. You want to be like maybe a nurse. Like it's just personal trainer wasn't on the list of, of careers. It definitely wasn't on the list of careers. My mom said that she thought I should have like, and I don't mean that in a judgy way. Like I, I just mean that like, it's not like now it is in the sort of popular discourse of like, yes, people are trainers. Yes. People are health coaches. Yes. People are nutritionists, but it just 20 years ago, it wasn't as much of a thing. So I think that's part of it. Like, I think if I was Kathleen now at 15, maybe it would be different. Like maybe I would have said like, Oh, I want to become a personal trainer. Um, but it just wasn't so much of a thing. And then it just had to slowly, as you said, snowball into it. Um, but you know, I encourage people like that. Yes. We're talking about me as a career, but I think that that can be said about anything with health and wellness. So if you're listening to this and you just sort of think, yeah, but I'm not a fit person. Well, go out, go for a walk. You go for a walk a hundred times. You become the type of person who goes for a walk, right? Like so much of this is if you want to be a certain type of person, if you want to have a certain identity, you just have to slowly like little by little build it up and then it snowballs. And then eventually you wake up and you're like, oh, the last 60 days in a row, I've gone for a workout. Like I must be the type of person who works out. You know, it's, it is so much of life is that slow evolution. And then sometimes you do have the aha moment, but the aha moment is usually based on some type of experience, uh, it's that millionth coin that makes you a millionaire. Like you wouldn't have that aha moment without all the other experiences before. Um, and I think that that can be really, I hope that people listening will find that quite motivating of like, if you're feeling right now, like, Oh, I don't have a handle on my health and wellness. It's like, yeah, I don't have a handle on it yet. Like I just need to put in enough reps of doing the things that a healthy person does. And then eventually you're like, Oh, I do the things that healthy people do. I must be a kind of healthy person. Cool. And that's sort of what happened to me. It's like, I just personally trained enough people to be like, well, maybe this is what I should be doing for the rest of my life. Like this is maybe who I am. Okay, cool. Let's do it. Awesome. So I feel like it does, it's going to motivate a lot of people because your story and my story are completely different. Like our pathways that led us to become the people who we are today is totally different. Yeah, I mean, our stories are so different, but they're also so the same in that, you know, they were of an evolution and we went from a person who didn't think that they were sort of a fit person to somebody who does, like now we identify very differently. And I think that's the, that's the thing to take away is that the details of the evolution might be different. And, but the fact that you can evolve is the same. And that's, that's what's motivating, right? Like you don't have to think like, Oh, well, I'm not fit today. I'll never be fit. You can think like, no, I am whoever I am today and I can be whoever I want to be in a year. Right. So could you go ahead and describe me your experience when you enter at university? Did you originally, uh, study law and then, and then you later change it to health and wellness or 
No. So law is not something you study in undergrad. Like that's what's so cool. That's why I sort of decided, well, I could do kinesiology. So fitness. And so I did kinesiology and women's studies in undergrad, which, so I did a lot of work on like sport and gender and, and just basic kinesiology things like, you know, learning concentric and eccentric muscle contractions and all that kind of fun stuff. Um, but I did that with the idea of like, Oh, well I'll do that in my undergrad so I can do personal training, but the personal training was going to put me through law school. So law school is not something you do in an undergrad. It's something you do as like a, as afterwards. So you would do an undergrad, you graduate. And then, you know, so like my partner, James, he did philosophy in his undergrad and then he went to law school. So, um, that, that sort of the idea was like always I would do law school, but I didn't have to, I didn't have to go to law school right away. That was the cool part. And that's what allowed me to sort of have this gradual evolution. Cause it was like, Oh, that's five years down the road. Um, and between now and then I just have to make some money. And I was like, Oh, well, personal training is a great way to make money. So that's how I, that's what I did to put myself through school. Um, but yeah, so I did kinesiology in my undergrad. That's very interesting to hear because like here at my school, we do have like a pre-law uh, type of program. You don't have to do pre-law. Like that's the thing. You absolutely could. Oh, okay, okay. But, you don't, but yeah, I mean, maybe it's, I mean, I shouldn't talk. I have no idea how it is in, in, like this is just in Canada. But in Canada, you can take pre-law classes, but you don't have to. You just have to take the LSATs, which is like the, the, the exam. And then that test with your undergraduate marks will take you to law school. While you were going through your undergrad, I knew a lot of colleagues who who went through a lot of changes while they were going through their undergrad experience. Um, I actually went through a change when it comes to my undergrad experience. I act- I was actually originally uh, studying radiology technology. Oh, so cool. But then actually when the pandemic happened, it actually gave me that huge pause that I needed in my life. So... During the lockdown phase of the pandemic, it gave me a lot of time to rethink and reflect on my life. So so that's when I decided to do some research on how the science behind how weight loss works and stuff. And I actually ended up like finding the science behind how weight loss works very interesting. I was like, you know what? Is there a field of study that involves with exercise science or something? And then it turns out in my in my school there is. I was like, there is. Well, well, I'll be darned. I might as well go ahead and study that, and then hopefully I can gain some knowledge and try to help myself and then others as well. So I uh, love you took that pause. I think that's a really really important thing thing to do in life in both large and small, right? Like, so you took a large pause because of the pandemic and rethought your life, but so much of health and wellness is learning how to take pauses during your day, right? It's like, oh, I really want a cookie. Wait, let's pause and see. Do I actually want that cookie? Or, you know, did I just not sleep very well last night? Like these pauses in our life, both small and large, that ability to reflect, it's such a cool part about being human and sort of be like, okay, like, and for you, like a whole change of like study. I think that's absolutely... Um, I think that's really cool. Yeah, that actually leads up to my next question. Have you had some considerations of like you changing your field of study while you're going through your undergrad or were you always strictly on kinesiology? Um, I mean, I think during my undergrad, I've always been somebody who's taken a lot of courses. So I did the undergrad, um, but throughout the undergrad, I'm sure, I don't even remember all the different, I was taking Pilates courses and I think I did, I don't know when I started doing like Paul Czech courses. I did some Poliquin courses. Like I, I really like 
learning. Um, my undergrad was a lot of years ago. I'm old. So that was like 20 years ago. So I don't remember exactly. I, I mean, I definitely remember finding this sort of sport and gender stuff really interesting. So I went in thinking I was just going to do kinesiology and then I switched it and I added some of the gender stuff in. Um, but I, I honestly, I feel like I'm almost too old to like remember back exactly. I, I remember taking a lot of different courses on um, like uh, lower back health and like rehabilitation stuff. And that's probably like one of the things I love about my job is that my clientele are so diverse. So I have everything from like a 13 year old competitive swimmer to like 99 year old uh, client. Like I, um, and I have like six people who are in their eighties. I have a lot of people who I have clients with like Parkinson's and MS and lower back issues and knee rehab. Um, so I think that definitely in my undergrad, I took, started my life of taking just like constant courses and just learning, which is definitely something that keeps me happy. Like I'm a really big believer in curiosity and always learning. And, and so, uh, I would say I did that for sure in my undergrad as well, which was not at, at school though. Those courses were like external to school. This is just a random question. Lovely. If if you were not a personal trainer or a health expert, what career you would want to pursue if it wasn't for that? Well, um, I, I, this doesn't sort of answer your question because it's it within the field, but I'll tell you what I'm currently thinking about going back to school to study is to become a massage therapist. Now, I wouldn't give up my current practice. This would just be like an added tool in my toolbox because uh, I like that. Um, and I've also thought about in the future becoming an osteopath because I like that. Um, and then if somebody said to me today, like what, I don't know, change your course. Like I love motivational speaking. So I would be very open to doing, like, I already do some of that for sure. Like lunch and learns and, and, but I would definitely do more of that. Um, but if it had to be something completely different, I mean, I guess I'd go back to what I wanted to be when I was 15, which was an international human rights lawyer. Um, but again, like I've seen lawyers and they work really, really, really hard. Right. Um, yeah. So I think that's more like an idealized goal than an actual thing that would work. Let's go ahead and dive into our next question. So, uh, was there a particular mentor that inspire you to become the person that you are today? I think we know the answer of that question. (laughs) That's going to be my mom. She's pretty amazing. I love my mom. Um, well, you know what? And actually this will circle back to the question you just said, maybe if I was doing something else, my mom went back to school when she was, um, in her fifties and, or maybe even late fifties, early sixties. I don't, I can't keep track of days. Um, but anyway, she went back to become a therapist. And so maybe if I had to go back to school and be something completely different than what I do now, and it's not able to be in health and like health and uh, I, maybe I would do therapy. I, I really find psychology very interesting. Um, but yeah, my mom's amazing. She's constantly learning. She's constantly striving, expanding her horizons. Uh, so now she does acting and therapy. Like, yeah, she's truly amazing. But there's also been some great personal trainers in my life that have been mentors. Like I worked with this woman, Kirsten, who owned one of the first studios that I ever worked at. She was amazing. This woman, Sam, she was the like group exercise director at the YMCA. Um, so I have a lot of people in my life. I feel very, very grateful. I have what, this man who I call my second father. Uh, he actually just died, but he, um, he's an amazing man and taught me so much about life and love. Um, and, uh, yeah, I always say to my partner, James, that without clay in my life, I wouldn't ever be able to fully love 
James. Like, it's just like, you know, so people enter your life in ways and, you know, influence your life in ways that you would just have no idea. So yeah, I feel very grateful for all the amazing people I've come into contact with. You know, it is very important to have that support system behind you. It does like make things a lot more easier. They do help you to motivate to achieve those goals. So Absolutely. It takes a village. Yeah. And I just have to, so I just want to tell one more story about my second father only just because I just, yeah, I miss him. Go ahead. And so this is an opportunity. He, he's one of the reasons why I'm so, I I feel like I'm quite opinionated in a good way, but before I, I uh, lived with, I actually lived with him for a while, him and his family, I was very shy. Like if you can imagine this kid who didn't want to go to, you know, gym class, I was so shy. And, um, I lived with them at a similar time that I was sort of evolving into my more fit self. And he used to always say to me, Kathleen, you have to have an opinion. He's like, I don't care what your opinion is. It doesn't, you don't have to agree with me. You could totally disagree with me. But like, what do you think? He would always ask me like, what do you think? And having this person say to you, like, you got to think and you got to be proud of what you think. Uh, I hope everybody listening gets that. Like I'm, you know, like, think about things and, and just be like, I feel this and and stand up with pride, you know, like having an opinion. It's so important. Sounds like some good advice. Uh, I do have like my own fair share of opinions that, that I don't agree with my colleagues, but the thing is I am open-minded to hear them out Mm -hmm. and I want to hear the why, why do they thought about that? And and sometimes there are opinions that did tend to change my mind. So, yeah, it's the discussion, right? Like, it's not right. you have an opinion and you stick with it till the end of time. It's that you have an opinion to open the door to discuss things and you're curious, right? I think that it's both being opinionated, but also being curious. So, it's not that your opinion is there to stay forever. But I think what he was just saying is, you know, don't revert into yourself. And I think that's my, that's, that's the thing that I took from it. Not so much that, you know, you have to be staunchly in your opinion, but that you have to be able to bring it to the, to the outside world. Cause when I met right. him, I, I was so in myself. So it's like, you know, I'm sure I thought things, but I wasn't able to say them. Let's go ahead and revert back to your experience at your university. So, um, Throughout your time at university, what was the most useful experience or knowledge that you have used to implement towards your fitness lifestyle and career? Yeah, so I'm not, I don't know about university, um, but I will say some of the courses I took during university. So while I was in university, I was becoming a certified Pilates instructor. And I learned from this woman, Margo, she teaches a place in Toronto called Body Harmonics. And she's super, super smart. Um, and I think watching her was really useful because she was so good at just looking at the body in front of her and working with that body. So not superimposing, you know, um, expectations from Jane onto Joe or from Amanda onto Tommy, right? Like it was just like she was, she would work with somebody and she really just taught me, um, to look at the body in front of you. And so I remember once, this is sort of an, an, an odd story, but hopefully it encapsulates everything. So we were doing an exercise and she was cueing, she cued me to move my leg in a certain way. And I said, well, why is it better to move my leg? I don't know. I guess maybe I, she said like externally rotated or something. I forget. And I was like, why is it better to do external rotation, not internal? And she looked at me, she's like, it's not better, but in your case, because you were internally rotated, we need to pull you. So you get to neutral. 
And the point of that story is people, I'm sure, are listening to those words and like, what do they mean? And the, 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 it doesn't matter if you know what internal and external rotation is. The point is, is that she was teaching me that you have to, before you say something is better than the other, look at the person, see where they're starting from, see where they bias, and then give them advice based on where they are in life, right? So if you had somebody who's under eating, then the answer to them is not to, you know, restrict more calories. The answer for them is to help them feel more comfortable eating a more diverse version of food, version of, of right? The, or if you have somebody who's only running, the answer for them is not to do more cardio. The answer for them is to do more strength training. So what I think working with her really taught me is that before you give advice, look at the person in front of you and see what they need, where they're starting from, what body is there, um, and then and then tailor the advice to what is going on with, with them. And I, that was a huge learning for me and is very, very useful for my clients. Like I try actually really not to give any advice before they tell me their story. Because I might be the expert in in sort of the biomechanics and the physiology, but they're the expert in their life. So they have to bring me their life and then I help them um, from there. Yeah, I can actually relate to that type of experience. I know in one of my classes, they give us some sort of questionnaire type of deal and they also... You know, those questionnaires that you go to the doctor's office. Do you have a history of like heart disease? Do you mm-hmm. have a history of such and such? Mm-hmm. And then and then what they also encouraged is to actually meet the person, actually mm-hmm. sit there and then ask them about their specific goals and needs. I, I feel like that's really important, yeah, uh, important. to address that. I don't think enough personal trainers actually do that. Like, you know, my tagline is you got to put the personal in personal training, but it, it sounds obvious. Um, but I think actually a lot of the times with health and wellness, people sort of think that the sort of society, like the goals that are the most prevalent, you know, like in society should be their goals. And they sort of adopt what's going on with other people. And personal trainers give often the advice that, for their body versus the advice for the client in front of them. So, you know, they, they will apply the advice of what they think the health and wellness should look like versus just asking the client. So I think it's important. Right. And I feel like there, there is a good portion of personal trainers in the fitness industry. They ended up like giving random people cookie cutter plans. So The problem that I have with those cookie cutter plants, it does not always work for everybody. It may work for X amount of people, but I feel like there are like a lot of factors and different circumstances that needs to be addressed to in order to make a proper exercise and nutrition plan for that person to achieve their specific goals. Absolutely. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, so let's go ahead and transition to the next chapter of this episode. So we'll go ahead and dive deep into your personal training career. So when it comes to the first question of this chapter, throughout your career, what type of approach or procedure you do when it comes to personal training? I know when it comes to personal training, it all starts with behavior change. So you want to go ahead and describe me the process of that? 
So I think it sort of depends because it's complicated because I don't just do, I mean, we, we keep calling me a personal trainer, but I, I would say it's more like a health expert and I offer a lot of different services. So how my sessions go really depend on what the client needs and what the client wants. So I offer everything from just like virtual accountability where it's like emailing back and forth with people to like make sure they're doing their, their workouts to nutrition counseling, to uh, program design, to personal training, to life coaching. So it, it depends. And, and the advice I give is very much um, personal to them. Meaning, you know, if somebody comes to me and they know all the right information, like they know that they should be drinking more water, eating more vegetables, doing more lunges, um, yet they haven't actually been able to implement that knowledge, then I know, okay, well, the problem is not the knowledge. The problem is that they don't have the mindset that allows them to actually implement the knowledge. So then for that person, we might actually work more on more of the coaching aspect. Okay, so like how do you connect the dots between wanting and doing? Um, but then there's some people who come and really don't have the knowledge, like they have a knee injury and they don't know what moves they should be doing and they don't know how to get themselves out of pain or... Um, so for them, it might really, but they do have the correct mindset to make themselves do it, but they just don't know what they should do. And so for them, it's much more about, okay, we, you know, assess their goals. We look at what they're currently doing. We look at, and then we try to figure out what is connecting the dots, like what they need to do now in order to help them reach their goal. So especially if it's like injury prevention or rehab or like prehab stuff, you know, like somebody who's been injured in the past and doesn't want to get injured again, they really do need that knowledge of like, okay, so you need to do, you know, um, glute meat exercises to stabilize yourself on a single leg. Like, so that's really knowledge-based stuff. And there's people like that who don't need their help on the mind that they know they will do their homework if they're given their homework. They just don't know the homework to do. And then there's people who know the homework, but they won't do it without the mindset. So yeah, I feel like it really depends on the person. And I think think what people listening will get from that answer is that, you know, sometimes they like, you have to be able to look inside yourself and know yourself. And for a lot of people with health and wellness, it's not a knowledge problem. Like for the most part, we all know we should eat more vegetables, drink more water, get to bed better, like a better time, um, prioritize movement. So the trick for most of us is actually figuring out how do you make yourself do it? And that's more of a mindset thing. So do you need a fitness buddy? Uh, do you need to, you know, buy a bunch of fitness classes so you've put the money forward because you're more likely to go if you're, you know, financially into it, um, you know, or is it that you need like a sports team because you don't love working out, you know, by yourself? Like, so it's so much of it is just looking at your history with exercise being like, okay, so when was I successful? When was I not? How do I reproduce when I was successful? Looking at your injury history, looking at your goals, um, and just really like stepping back and, and zooming out and, and taking a, a bigger picture look at like maybe you're really good at exercise but you're not really good at eating well like and that's very true for a lot of people or maybe it's the opposite you really are good at eating well but you can't make yourself move so you know then once you figure out where your sort of where your weak links are then you put your energy to fixing those weak links and that's what I help my clients do okay um, I'm gonna go ahead and give you a random scenario so let's just say if there's like a a regular joe like me uh let's go ahead and go back in time back in the day where i was like 344 pounds so what would be the procedure if i come up to you if i'm like hey kathleen i'm actually looking to lose weight what steps do i need to take to achieve that goal Mm -hmm. so i think we would uh, first, we would do some 
um, journaling. Like, so I'd probably say, okay, like, why don't you write down what you eat for a week or so? And let's look at that and figure out where your largest areas of, um, possibility for improvement. Cause for the most people, uh, we can get caught in the weeds of doing like, well, I have to count my macros and I have to do this. And you know, that might be fun once you're a bodybuilder for, but for most people, there's like one or two changes that they can make that will make like sort of biggest bang for their buck. For a lot of people, it's just like not eating after eight o'clock at night. Cause they will be, you know, they'll eat fairly well for most day. And then they sort of like binge at night. So I like to try to pinpoint one or two things that people can do that are uh, big, yeah, big bang, biggest bang changes. So that would be in the nutrition front. I would get somebody to do that. And then for the exercise front, I just get them to come in and we would chat, we would do a workout together. And while we were doing the workout, we would sort of talk about their goals. I'd probably put them through um, an assessment where I would see, you know, make sure that there was no um, like asymmetries in their body that was going to create any injuries. Um, so take them through a squat and a plank and a bird dog and sort of just sort of see how they move. And then we would create a program based on their goals. So I would say like, what is realistic? How much time can you give me? Um, and then we would create the plan based on that. But, you know, especially in your scenario, what you're saying is like somebody who's, you know, over 300 pounds, I wouldn't say to them, okay, well you need to exercise two hours a day. Like we would definitely like how I started small, we would start with realistic goals, knowing that you can, this is the first step. It's not the last step. We just have to get you in and consistency is the key. So we would find something that you can do consistently. I'd probably ask you like, you know, the last time you did enjoyed motion, what was it? And if you said something like, okay, well, I really like playing baseball, then I would say, okay, so like, let's make that your goal. Maybe not tomorrow, but next baseball season, like maybe you, so then I would say like, okay, so let's do some movements in your program that set you up for success for that, like rotator cuff stuff and some, you know, like, so it's often very helpful to find something that the person really enjoys doing. So they have like a really strong why, um, you know, it's not just a generic, well, I'm going to move. It's like, well, I want to move so I can play, you know, like my partner loves tennis, for example, um, and he loves to play golf. So, um, you know, I will encourage him to do the strength training stuff because it's like, yeah, but you'll be a better tennis and golf player. And he's like, oh yeah, amazing. Let's do it. You know, um, where if I just was sort of like, let's just do strength training, it's not as exciting for him, but a goal, like his why, you know, um, it's similar for me. Like I love to run, so I don't love doing my strength work. I mean, that's me being extremely honest. I don't, but I make myself do it because it's like, if I don't do my strength work, I'm going to get injured while I'm running and I need that balanced approach. So, um, yeah. So, you know, in that, you know, hypothetical situation, we would do some journaling and we would figure out what is realistic, not forever, but for the next couple weeks, um, for the exercise, connecting that realistic goal to a, a why something that's important to you. And then we would check in. So we would have that for the first you know couple weeks. And then after two or three weeks, we would be like, okay, is this not enough? Is this too much? And then we would go from there. And one of the things I do with my clients is I'm very connected to them. So, you know, I might text you every day and be like, oh, have a great Tuesday. Like, what do you plan to do to like, you know, your program, I see on your program that you're going to go for a half an hour walk. Like, hope you have a really good time. Let me know when you're done, you know? And then they text me when they're done and they're like, oh, I did the walk and it was great. Or I did the walk and it was really hard. I've actually been doing some personal training myself and I would like to ask you what, is the biggest advice would you give people like myself and others who are looking to be part of that field in order to give our clients the best chance to succeed into their goals? 
Um, education, education, education. For so many reasons, it's like the more courses you take, it's going to keep you curious and enthusiastic. Um, I always, after I've done a course, I'm like so excited to try everything. Um, but also just for you, like it'll help your clients because you will be better able to help them, but it will also help you because you will have more ability to uh, knowledge and ability to, to help a really wide range of people. So that means your client base is larger, right? Like if you can only help men between 20 and 40 who are 300 pounds who want to lose weight, then that's a very small demographic. But if you can help, you know, everyone from the age of 13 to 99, that like just broadens up your demographic. So you just want to sort of know. Um, now that doesn't mean you can train everybody. Like I definitely have clients, you know, if somebody comes in and they're like, well, I want to train for a bodybuilding competition, I will say like, that's not my scope of practice. You know, I could give you some hints, um, like general tips, but here's my colleague who would be better for that. So, you know, I'm not saying that you, you should train and will be able to train everybody, but I do think that the more knowledge you have, the greater possibility of clientele you have. And I would like to also add more into that question. Um, I know uh, every once in a while I do have like somewhat trouble to keep my clients motivated. They do tend to have some bad days that, oh, I don't feel like doing this and this. The thing that I would like to ask you, what could I do or what could other personal trainers do in order to keep our clients motivated, keep their faith in the program? Or with the plan that we give them. So, I mean, I think there's a oh, we could I ha, I could answer that question for like five million years. But I think one of the things is um, just to normalize with them that everybody has days. You know, everybody has bad days. Everybody has days that they don't feel like working out. So, I think often clients they start the personal training process really gung ho, and they think, well, because they're 100% motivated at the beginning, that they should be 100% motivated like every day of the process. Um, and you know, what I like to tell my clients is, there's lots of days I don't want to work out. Like, it's not like I'm perfectly motivated all the time. Emotion motivation is a, is is akin to an emotion, right? It comes and it goes. And so the trick is to help instill in your clients the dedication and the consistency that they train even on days they're not motivated. And so I will have clients who will say like, Oh, I don't want to be here today. I'm like, great. That's cool. You don't have to want to be here as long as you're here. So I think normalizing that everybody has, you know, ups and downs in their, you know, readiness and excitement about motivate, you know, being motivated is that's huge. Um, and understanding that, um, we're always more motivated when we start something, but it, how do I put this? So there's this thing called present bias, which is the idea that how we feel in this moment, we unconsciously think we're sort of like always going to feel that. So when you start with a personal trainer, right, it's like you're super motivated. It's like January 1st or your birthday. And you just sort of think, oh, well, because I'm motivated in this moment, like I'm always going to feel this, like this raw, raw. And that's just not true that, that, you know, the next time your alarm goes off at five in the morning or the next time you get in a fight with your husband or your wife or whatever, your motivation might be lower because you're feeling, you know, frustrated or angry or tired or whatever. And then the present bias for that moment is like, well, because I feel unmotivated this moment, I will never feel motivated again. So then it's like, well, I might as well just stop working out. And so the trick is to understand that present bias, this idea of like how you're feeling, you know, you unconsciously sort of think you're always going to feel that way. It's just not true in either way. Like you're not always going to be motivated and you're not always going to be not motivated. And you just have to make yourself do the right things, no matter what your emotion, so that the emotion doesn't dictate what you do, what 
dictates what you do is that you know you're making choices that serve you, right? So there's lots of times I don't want to have the salad. There's lots of times I don't want to go to bed when I'm supposed to go to bed. You know, I want to stay up and watch right now. I'm watching Friday Night Lights, that show from 10 years ago. I love that show. So do I want to go to bed? No, I want to watch it. But then if I say to myself, it doesn't matter that you want to watch this right now, you know, your future self is going to be so upset if you only get three hours of sleep. So blah, 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 like just go to bed. So Anyway, that's a long answer to that. That's a conversation I have with a lot of my clients of just this idea that motivation, um, emotion doesn't drive behavior. Um, integrity drives behavior and knowing what serves you drives behavior. So that would be the first thing. Um, and then the second thing would also be just saying like, you know, you have a plan, but you know, some days if you don't feel like following the plan exactly like that's okay. As long as you're active. So, you know, if Tuesday you're like, Oh, I really don't feel like doing weights. Okay. So you don't say, well, I'm not, I'm going to skip my workout. Like maybe you go to the personal trainer and you do something different. Like maybe you're like, okay, let's do some boxing today or let's go for a really long walk or, or let like, so you're allowed to mix things up and find different ways of moving and you're allowed to say, yeah. And then also make some different modifications while you were going through the plan. Exactly. So a plan is great to have, but really the, the only non-negotiable is that you have to do, you have to move, you have to be continually like present. Um, but if you want to modify, if you want to fight, like, if you're like, you know what, we're just going to go outside and we're just going to throw the ball around and play some football, like go for it. Like it doesn't, it's fine. Like plans are meant to be modified. So that would be another thing. Um, and if it's a sort of a longer term motivational issue, not on like a day to day issue, then maybe you have to figure out like maybe the workout isn't actually fitting the client's goal. Like maybe the client's goal is, you know, to be able to be down on the floor with their grandkids and then you're getting them to do powerlifting. So maybe what you need to do is change it around to be like more mobility based. Like, I don't know, but like, so it sort of depends if it's a day, like a single day motivation issue, that's maybe a little bit different than if it's just like a widespread, like I'm not liking this issue, then, then, you know, that's a different tweak. Um, but mainly you just got to find ways to talk to your client. Like it's like any relationship, like with your husband or your wife or your kids or whatever, it's the communication. And you sort of say like, okay, tell me how you're feeling. How do we address that? Um, you know, what tweaks can we make? And then you just work on it together. Let's go ahead and dive into our next question. So I actually read that email that you sent to me. I did saw some good questions and some discussion points that you did pitched in for our episode. So, so you want to go ahead and talk about on how to spot when healthy habits become unhealthy? Absolutely. I'll talk about anything that you, um, that you have interest in, but we definitely don't have to, um, go with any of the, you know, the questions. I love your questions. In fact, I'm thoroughly right. enjoying being asked things that I don't get asked a lot. So keep those coming. I love them. Um, but yeah, I'll definitely to- keep those in mind. Okay. Um, I mean, I think how to pinpoint when toxic, uh, healthy habits become toxic is just awareness. And I feel like that might be a theme that's sort of going through this interview. Um, it's just, it's so easy to, to boom and bust with health and wellness, right. To sort of go all in and then win you go all in and it's too much, it's not sustainable, then you pull back the other way. It's just like almost like a seesaw or like a pendulum that kind of constantly swings. So I think so much of it is awareness. Uh, Journaling can be a great way of sort of knowing where your inner dialogue is, having people who trust you. So if people that you love say to you, 
Um, okay, so you might be doing a little bit too much, or are you okay uh, listening to people? I think, I mean, there's lots of objective markers that would tell you if you're, if you're letting healthy habits become unhealthy, meaning like if you're a female and you've lost your period or, um, you know, your hair is falling out or your blood markers, you know, your, uh, change, um, like when you, if you get regular blood work. So there's those objective markers for sure. Um, if you're sort of malnutrition, mal, malnourished because you're starving yourself or if you're over exercising. Um, but then there's also just really, uh, being honest with yourself, right? Like, are you exhausted all the time? Are you not able to sleep very well? Like what I try to encourage my clients to remember is that health is supposed to make you healthier. Like it's supposed to make you more vibrant and have better connections with people. So if you're always irritated and you're always tired, um, and if you look in your journal and you're always using like sort of terrible self-talk or your friends are always being like, Oh my God, like what's wrong with you? Like these are all things. And especially if you can step back and have that bigger picture you of like, Oh wow. Like, you know, I have, I haven't lifted my heaviest lift in like six months. Well, maybe you're not eating enough or maybe you're not sleeping, you know? So I think a lot of it is just honesty, um, and remembering what health is supposed to do. It's supposed to make you healthier. Um, so I don't know if that, that helps at all. I know this is, this is going to be a very touchy question. I know I did heard some stories on how people ended up develop uh eating disorders from from certain nutrition plans that they were given and Mm -hmm. they believe sticking with that certain nutrition plan is going to like get them healthier my question to you if a person is in that type of situation what would be the best approach for a person to approach to them like hey i don't think what you're doing is is actually healthy what would you do if you know a person who who is in that particular situation it's a really love lovely question and i mean lovely as in you know compassionate because it's saying saying like i'm seeing somebody that i care about who's not doing well and it's honestly it's a it's a very tricky question because i've gone through periods in my life where i've where i've dealt with disordered uh, eating and over exercise and um, you know, people did say things to me and it, it's, it's tricky because if you don't want to hear people's advice, you're not going to listen to it. So it's sort of like you can, you know, take a horse to water, but you can't make them drink. So it's tricky. Like you don't want to say so much that you alienate the person. Um, and I think what really, it depends on context. Like it depends on the relationship. Like what I could say, for example, to my, I have a half sister who I'm very close with, like what I could say to her or what I could say to my partner, James, um, or what I could say to my mom is very different than what I could say to like friend of a friend to a meet at a cocktail party, you know? So, um, I think, I think there's that. And I think it's about if, if you are close enough to say something to somebody, then it's about how you frame it, like not coming into it as judgmental and more saying like, is there something that you want to share with me? Or I'm always here if you want to talk. Um, so I think it, I think it depends. I think it depends on how old the person is. Like it obviously is different if it's like a 10 year old and it's your child, right? Like, so it's different than if it's like somebody who's, you know, 30 or 40 or 50, um, that you don't have control, you know, you don't have control over. So I think, I think it would be a matter of sort of stepping back and asking yourself, how could I make this person feel 
seen and heard so they feel safe enough to come talk to me. Um, but they might not be at a place that they want to deal with it. And until they want to deal with it, if they're an adult, they're an adult, right? Like, so it's tricky. It's very, very, very hard. But the biggest thing with any relationship is making people feel safe and seen and heard uh, because empathy is not the answer to everything, but without empathy, nothing is possible, right? Like, so if somebody feels like you're judging them or that you think if they think you're better than them or whatever, they're definitely not going to talk to you. So making them feel like you care about them, you know, it's not a magic bullet. It doesn't guarantee they, that anything happens, but it at least opens the door um, to the conversation. Yeah, I believe that smooth approach does give people like the best chance to actually open their book and actually have them talk to you about it. So I believe that does make a difference. Well, and also appreciating that the person might actually be working on it, right? Like, so I, I've been in therapy for 20 years. And when I was dealing with my disordered eating stuff, I was working on it in therapy. And no one knew I was working on it in therapy because it's therapy and it's private. So if somebody had come to me with a real judgmental tone of like, you have to work on this, like you're not eating enough. Like, I just would have been like in my head, like, screw you. Like I am working on it. Like it wouldn't have helped me have a dialogue with that person. But if the person had come to me and said like, you know, I don't know um, if you're working on this, but if you are like, just want you to know that I'm here to support you in any way that you need, like that would have been a much more um, helpful approach. And I still might've said like, you know what, I'm going to work on this privately. Um, but at least I would have known that I had an ally if I needed the ally, but just assuming like, you just can't assume that you have the answer to somebody else's problem because you have no idea you know, what work they're already doing on, on it. And you don't even really know if they have a problem. Like maybe right. they're just very naturally, genetically, extremely small. And you're assuming that they're not eating, but they are. And they, you know, like you have no idea, you have no idea. So you have to go into it knowing that you have no idea, but that you have the best, um, you know, you have the best intentions. Right. Let's go ahead and transition to our next question. So, uh, this is another one of your input questions. So you want to go ahead and further elaborate why your ultimate goal should be less. Oh, being less consistent. Yeah. 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 Less intentional. Yeah. So this actually ties back to some of your questions you were saying about like helping your clients with motivation and all that stuff. So the idea is that habits are by nature of the name habitual. And the more of a habit you have, the less actually intentional you have to be. It just sort of happens. It's woven into the fabric of your day. So I would say that if you are a personal trainer and you're having, you want to help your clients be more motivated, actually what you do is you help them be more um, habitual and then, because then they don't say, well, should I, or should I not work out? They just sort of do it. Um, and so it's like brushing your teeth. You don't really think, well, should I brush my teeth? It's just sort of part of your day. And that's the trick is that the more of your health can be unintentional. Like it can just be part of that fabric. Um, the more, likely you are to just to do that habit so it's a slow process it's about trending in the right direction with like a slowly accumulating habits um, and you do have to be intentional at the beginning to create that habit but it's about understanding that we all only have so much cognitive space in our brain so you know we make so many decisions every day and most of them i, I forget the name but it, i forget the percentage but it's like something like 98 percent of what we do and how, what we decide to do is like in the realm of the unconscious so Right. You want to make as much of what you do in the unconscious, like very healthy, right? 
So you just sort of more naturally gravitate toward those healthy choices. You have the water bottle. So you like sip on the water without thinking like, oh, I should have a glass of water. It's just like it's in your, uh, it's in your daily routine to have that water bottle at your desk. So you just sort of sip, right? Or once you have a fitness buddy where you go for a walk every day at lunch, you don't really think, well, should I go for my walk or should I not? It just sort of happens. So I think that that was the point I was trying to make with that is that so much of having a healthier lifestyle is making those habits habitual. But in order to make something habitual, you have to first be very, like you have to have to have an infusion of energy into it at the beginning. And then you do it enough times intentionally so that it can be fairly unintentional. And then it just sort of happens. I know that I have that similar experience on what you just explained. I remember when, when I was a lot bigger the thing is, I always never see myself like doing exercise in regular basis. But right now, comparing myself back then, it does feel a lot more natural if we put it in that way. And I do feel a bit weird or I felt like that something is missing if I if I missed a whole week of exercising. It's so true. I, I yeah. really... You're so wise. Like when I was younger, to make myself exercise was odd. Like it was like my I, my natural was sitting on the sofa watching Beverly Hills 90210. I loved Luke Perry. I loved Dylan and Brenda and all that stuff. And it was unnatural for me to get up and go for a walk. Um, but now I love running. Like it's like pulls me to run. Like I just, if I miss a couple of days of running, all I want to do is go outside and be in nature and be in the woods and go for a run. Um, so what my normal and natural is, has changed over the last 20 years. So it does, it requires that initial infusion of really intentional, like I am going to get up and I'm going to go to the gym and yes, this feels weird, but I'm going to do it. But then eventually not doing it. It's exactly what you said feels weird. So it's just, it's a bit, it's a slow process and it's all about trending in the right direction. Like you want to have uh, more healthy habits this week than you did last week. And then in a month, you want to have more next month than you did now. And then in six months, more in six months than now, right? It's just like that slow build. Or you used the term um, snowball effect earlier. Like I think yes. that's just, you just want it to slowly build and snowball. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh my God, I got this monster snowball. I can't even throw it anymore. I got to like push it up the hill. <laughs> right. Uh, do you believe everybody has the capability of doing that or... Of course. Do I think that everybody has the capability of being like Michael Jordan? Absolutely not. I mean, we all have our genetic window. But I think that if you think about your genetic window and you think most of us live so at the bottom end of it, right? Like, so do I think that anything is possible for anybody? No. I mean, I can't become nine feet tall. Um, but in my six foot tall version of me, I can be much more fit, more active, more, right? So, you know, recognizing your genetic window, recognize that probably, you know, if, where you are on the continuum of zero to a hundred is you're probably only existing at like a seven. So you have so much range of possibility. Um, is it Michael Jordan range? No. Um, but is it like the best Kathleen Trotter range that I can be? Absolutely. So, you know, whatever your name is and, you know, put your name there and just sort of be the best version of you that you can be knowing that, you know, all of us have so so much more capability than 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 we we work towards. I'm gonna go ahead and do some build up on this question. So, okay. uh, I know issues on body image has become one of the most common obstacles that people tend to encounter in their lifetime. I know in my demographic, like that issue has been like going up, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to the 
rise of social media, a lot of people tend to follow all of these people with like amazing physiques. Mm -hmm. And that actually, like I said before, we do live in that society that we tend to compare ourselves to those, to those genetic freaks, you know? And I know a lot of people encounter those and then they, and then with that comparison, it does knock themselves down mm-hmm. that that they think that they're less of a human being that those people are, you know? It's such a toxic culture. I completely agree. Comparison is the thief of joy. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. The thing that I would like to ask you is what healthy steps that people can take to find a potential pathway to find the best chance to find peace with their body image? Yeah, I love that question. Um, I think one thing is limit your time on social media for sure. You know, don't just randomly, you know, scroll um, and limit who you follow. So, you know, unfollow people that are not going to serve you and your mental and physical health. Um, So that's one thing. Um, And there's lots of problematic people on Instagram, but there's also a lot of really great people. Um, you know, I love Mel Robbins, for example. Um, you know, like there's just so many great authors, Brené Brown. Um, there's one people that can really build you up uh, and you can learn a lot. So I love Stoic Philosophy and there's um, Ryan Holiday is on there and, you know, he's, I don't know how many books he's written on Stoic Philosophy, but he always has quotes. I love James Clear. He wrote the book Atomic Habits. He's on there. He has great quotes. So it is possible to find people that are positive. So follow, exactly. unfollow the, ba- the like less than ideal people and follow people that are going to build you up. So that's one thing and uh, limit your time. The other thing is also just remembering. Um, so there's this woman, Anne Lamont, she's an author and she says, I'm going to paraphrase, but I love it. She says, we always compare like our warts, like our own face to people who have makeup on. Right. And that's the problem is like, they might have genetics that are, you know, freaks of genetics, as you said, but they also might just be using Photoshop. Like we even don't even know who these people are. And in the end, it doesn't matter. But the point really to remind yourself is that, you know, Instagram is this very curated version, right. Of what, like of a moment in their day. Um, and you know, I would 100% say my Instagram is real as in there's no, I don't lie, but I also don't post a shot of 24 hours of every of my day. Like you don't see me when I'm unbelievably exhausted and like, just like passed out. And it's, you know, so it's like even people who are authentic, like I, I really try very hard to be authentic on social media, but even me who's authentic, like I, it's not like you're seeing every single second of my day. So it can only be so authentic because it's just a snapshot into people's lives. So, you know, remembering that as well, that you are seeing, I think the point Anne Lamont is making is that you are feeling like your worst moments and your worst days and you're only seeing other people's best moments and best days right like you're seeing them with makeup on you're seeing what they are choosing to put on social media but you have no choice of what you're seeing of yourself you see every single moment of every single um day um so um, I think that that's really important to remember that, to keep some perspective, to get a village around you that is helpful and supportive. You know, we talked about this earlier when I was talking about my mom and, and, um, my second dad, you know, like having people who love and care about you in real life, you know, going out with those people, having meaningful connection. I mean, that's been really hard over, you know, this pandemic, but you know, it's getting a little bit better and, you know, you can just, yeah, 
have friends that like really see and, and hear you like the real you. Um, and then, and figure out your recipe for sort of mental and physical health success, right? Like, so for me, if I'm feeling low, I know the things that make me feel better. Like I put on a podcast and I go for a walk or I phone one of my really good friends or I talk or I journal. Um, so, you know, ask yourself, like, what are the things that make me feel most at peace, most, you know, centered? Do you like to meditate? Do you like to go for swims? Do you like to do yoga? Like, do you like to take your dog for a walk? Like whatever it is. And when you're feeling low, instead of looking on Instagram and comparing yourself to these people that, you know, who knows if they're, they're real or not and who, who cares, go for a walk or do whatever is on your list of the things that sort of calm you and center you and, and know that whatever is on your list is going to be different than what's on somebody else's list. Uh, what would you advise to people to come up with realistic expectations on whatever they got when it comes to genetics and other circumstances they have to make most most of it. So let's just say, I know it's super, really unrealistic for me to get like a six pack of abs or something. Mm-hmm. I know for me to achieve that, I would have to be like follow a super strict diet to actually achieve that physique. But I believe at the end of the day, it would not. It wouldn't serve you because you would have to. It would not serve me. Right. Yeah. I think, oh, I think there's a couple, a couple answers that, and one is just, you know, to remember that you don't have to be perfect tomorrow. And I don't mean perfect as in like six pack abs. Perfect. What I mean is perfect as in perfectly calm and centered. Um, So the process of finding yourself and finding who you are, that it's is a lifelong, you know, like I've been in therapy for 20 years and I still have days where I'm like, Oh my God, like, what am I doing in this world? Um, and I have days where I'm exhausted and, you know, I had a therapy session a couple of weeks ago when she was like, how are you? And I'm like, I'm actually even too tired to have this therapy session. And I was like, I can't even like put together two words to tell you how I am. Like, I'm allowed to have those days. Good lives include kind of exhausted, crappy days. Good days include, you know, bad moments. So I think the first thing is on your quest to find your realistic goals for yourself, just know that that quest is not a 24-hour quest. Like you don't order your peace and tranquility and realistic goals on Amazon Prime. Like this is a process. Um, And just as we are have to, we have to let go of the goal of perfect when it comes to fitness. We also have to let go of the goal of perfect when it comes to mental health and wellness. Like it is an evolution. Um, and you learn about yourself every day. And when you have the days for me that I'm like, so unbelievably tired, I'm like, okay, what did I learn? Okay. I learned I pushed myself too much. That's I bias towards like trying to do a little bit too much and then getting tired. And it's like, okay, I can learn, I can grow. That's okay. So that would be the one thing I would say. Um, And then the other point about realistic goals, I would also just say, um, diversify, like all of the, a lot of the things that you've said, like when you, you know, you say about the six pack goal, the six pack ads, um, get away from just thinking that goals are aesthetic. Like, do you want to have more energy? Do you want to sleep better? Um, do you want to, I don't know, maybe one of your goals is to have a better relationship with one of your kids or your spouse. So exercise can be like something that draws you together with another human being. Like we have a dog, a little Corgi, her name is Olive. And, you know, going for walks, we go, we have these adventures where we find, you know, different trails to go for walks and stuff. And yeah, it's exercise, but it's about, you know, we have wonderful conversations and we, you know, find 
places for her to swim and like it's just fun so I think part of finding your peace and finding your equilibrium is about making your fitness and health goals much more than if you have abs or if you don't have abs you know it's it's you know how do your clothes fit how strong are you can you do a squat like can you move without pain Um, and as soon as you diversify those goals just the fact of diversifying your goals takes some of the crazy focus that we have on the six-pack abs and the shoulders all that and it just makes and it widens it and it's not saying that having an attent like being attentive to what you look like is bad by any means i'm not saying that i'm just saying that make it one of the things that you are aware of versus everything Um, and as soon as you make a you have a bigger wider picture view everything within the view becomes less important because you have more things to look at yeah i believe it's really important for people to find that balance There is such a thing when it comes to extremes. If we look at health, I did see some extreme measures when people believe that they're healthy. And then there's there's another extreme that this person is unhealthy. So I actually did uh, make some mistakes whenever whenever I was like going through my weight loss journey. Um, There are days that I only consumed about... 800 to a thousand calories, which is like super low. I know it's me, me at the time. Uh, I thought I was like healthy thing about me during that time. I didn't know any better. I believe as long as that I'm in that caloric deficit, I Mm -hmm. will achieve my goal. But, but later on, as I got more educated behind that stuff and I did learn that there is an extreme on the other side as well there is such a thing of like going too far Mm -hmm. so i did suffer some consequences from going into that extreme i did end up like losing the majority of my muscle mass i used to be a lot more muscular uh back then because i used to play i used to lift quite a lot of weights and stuff and Mm -hmm. That is one of the biggest regrets and biggest mistakes that I made. Yes, I did achieve my goal of like losing 110 pounds, but I wish I could have done it a little bit better. I felt like I believe I could have made a better approach when it comes to that. Yeah, well, so if I was... Um, well, hopefully I am now at the end of this, uh, your friend, but if I was, you know, somebody who'd known you for the last five or 10 years, if I was your therapist, I would encourage you to be kinder to yourself and just, you know, it's all a learning experience. And if you didn't have that experience, you wouldn't be able to help the people in the way and with the empathy that you are going to be able to help them. And I did the same thing. Like, I think so much of being human is just being human and you can't know what you don't know. Um, and as Maya Angela would have said, like, you know, now that, you know, if you knew better, you would have done better. And now that you know better, you'll do better, right? Like you'll help people, but it's, this is a, this is a growth experience. Um, and, and we're like, we literally are only human and you lost a huge amount of weight and that's amazing. And being so proud of that. And then now you have this knowledge, right? Like I did a very similar thing. I, I pendulum swung and I had this disordered eating and I lost my period for a while. And like, I was not, there was not healthy. It was not a healthy version of Kathleen, but now I have so much empathy for so many people who are going through this. And I, I understand the pendulum swings. I've been there. I've done that. It's very helpful. Um, but mostly it happened. So I can't regret it. All I can do is learn from it. Right. And I don't know, I think you did amazingly well. And I think that you should be really proud of yourself. 
Um, and I think that you couldn't have done any differently because you didn't know any differently, right? So now you right. have amazing knowledge. So you'll be able to help so many people and you'll be able to say like, do as I say, don't do as I did because I'm Exactly. Well, I think it's really cool. And I think that's the best part about being human that we're like, we're not robots, right? Like we are literally like we're human. And with being human comes all these undulations and, and everything is just a learning experience. Have you ever had your own fair share of like mistakes that you made while you were going through your fitness journeys? Oh my God. Yes. I've had so many mistakes, but like we've all had mistakes and anybody who says they haven't made mistakes, either they're not trying and doing anything or they're just freaking lying. Like you cannot. Yeah. And also what would be a life worth living if you haven't, like if you hadn't made any of the mistakes, you hadn't tried anything. Like, um, Yes. So the answer is 100%. I have made lots and lots and lots of mistakes. I think the thing is, is that when you make a mistake, you course correct as quickly as possible and you learn from your experience, right? So the biggest thing that I did um, was I did a lot of, in my 20s, I did Ironmans and a lot of running um, and I did too much too much running um, and I hurt my hip. So about five years ago, I had a quite a large um, or intense bad injury from the right, the labrum in my right hip, which is like the protective coating in the hip. Right. And it was pretty bad. And I had sort of like a year and a half where I definitely couldn't run. I could hardly walk. Like it was hard to sort of like shuffle to the, the bus stop kind of thing. And uh, it took a lot of physio and it took a lot of rehab. Um, and you know, there's a lot of days where I mean to myself and I'm like, ah, I should have known, but you know, like it's, I have learned a lot from that experience. And now I work with a lot of runners in order to help them not have that happen. Um, and I do a lot of um, like single leg stability work. And I've learned a lot about biomechanics and gait and it inspired me to learn a huge amount. And so I'm now able to help a lot of people. So, you know, do I wish that the injury didn't happen for sure, but it's, but I can't go back. Um, and if it hadn't have happened, I wouldn't know, I wouldn't have been inspired to learn a lot of the things that I have learned. I found an amazing osteopath. I learned from him. He's one of the reasons why I think, you know, eventually I might go back and do osteopathy. So, you know, you never know the, the twists and turns that life will show you, like throw at you, but all you can do is learn from them. Uh, not only you're a health expert, you also written a number of books throughout your career. So I know your latest book is entitled Your Fittest Future Self. And you want to go ahead and share why should my audience highly consider reading your book? Yeah, I mean, Your Fittest Future Self looks at how to create a recipe for success that is based on your goals and your needs. So it's um, there's three sections. There's the fitness section, there's the nutrition section, and there's the mindset section. And then in each section, it kind of goes through the different pros and cons of different ways of eating and different like ways of exercising, understanding that there's sort of a pro and a con to everything. And then you have to figure out which of the pros uh, will fit your life and then create your individualized plan. So that's the idea of the book. Um, and it's really centered around this idea that if you want to create a fitter version of you in the future, you got to take action today. So it's all about the now because now is ultimately the only moment we have control over. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's a lot of what we've talked about today, right? Like how to take ownership over your actions, how you don't, al you won't always be motivated, but that doesn't mean you can't always be consistent and dedicated. Um, that when you fall, I talk in the book about the Kathleen cycle of growth. So it's like, you know, you, you live, you analyze, and then you take those life lessons and then you apply them and then you live again and you keep sort of spiraling through. It's like a giant feedback loop. So what got you the idea of like, you know what? I actually should 
write a book about all the stuff that I learned throughout my career. So what made you pursue to write a book? Um, well, my first book was Your Fittest Future Self, and it was really based on um, the experiences that we've talked about today of like going from not being active to being active and, and how, you know, something is always better than nothing and how, you know, create a village of support. And but a lot of the themes that we talked about of like, just that movement has to be a non-negotiable, but how you move is up to you. So the first book really was like, you know, don't think about it too much. Just do it. Like just go act, walk, drink some water, you know, like just stop analysis paralysis, like stop trying to find the perfect anything and just move. And then the second book is sort of that next step. It's like, okay, you are moving, but like, how do you take a more detailed plan of attack um, and create a plan that it, that is really specialized to you? Uh, so they sort of, they f- flowed into each other, I guess. Um, I also just really love writing and I love, I love the process of writing. So I'm always writing something because it helps me sort of think through things. So the books are also partly just for me. The more I write, the more I understand. How long did it took you to develop the book or actually write the book? Oh, I don't even, well, the first book was, um, like I had written a lot of articles before I'd written, there's a Globe and Mail is the, is our Canadian, like our newspaper. So I wrote for the Globe and Huffington Post. And so I'd been writing for like 10 years. Uh, and then I wrote the book. So, you know, the book itself maybe only took like a couple of years, but it was based on, like I'd already done a bunch of writing. And so a lot of the ideas were percolating. Um, and then maybe the next book also took a couple of years. I don't remember. Time just sort of goes, uh, but I'm always thinking. And so even when I'm not writing a book, I'm sort of, working through different articles and thinking and talking with my clients and sort of everything's always in the back burner in my head. Alrighty. Cool. Cool. Um, I actually just came up with a question. So, um, since you're, since you've been part of the help business for quite a long time, can you compare how much the industry has changed throughout your career? Oh, that's a fantastic question. No one's ever asked me that question, actually. Um, I mean, it's mostly just become much more mainstream. Um, and, you know, as opposed to the odd person having a personal trainer, it's like many more people have it. it. I mean, obviously, I didn't have social media when I first started either. So, you know, the idea of even having a website when I first started, a lot of people didn't have that. So I've seen this evolution of like everybody having a website and then everybody having a Facebook page and then Instagram and more like all these digital courses. So, that, you know, what's offered is definitely changed, but mainly it's just that it's, it's much more... Uh, it's much more mainstream and, and everybody sort of talks about health and wellness a little bit more and the information for better or worse is out there, right? And a lot of times it's worse because the information that's out there is wrong, but at right. least you know, people are talking about it. And, and um, whereas, yeah, before it was like, you know, people went to the gym, but I don't know. It just, they it just, was, they just go ahead and pick up like their local magazines or yeah, yeah, their local magazines and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, I always, I grew up like wanting to be in like shape magazine and everything. Cause for me, like that was when I was younger, that was the thing. Like if, if you were, you know, if you wanted fitness information, you looked at those magazines. Yeah. It does have its pros and cons. Like the pros of it, like you point out, it's a lot more accessible for people to actually mm-hmm. look for that advice to actually get started. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the cons of it, anybody can actually yeah, it's a low bar. Make. Yeah, it's a low bar. Exactly. I think, I think that's the thing is you just have to be a really educated consumer. Like 
I don't follow very many people and like the people I follow, I really like and respect. I, I follow a lot of Corgi dog sites on Instagram because it's very cute. And as I said, we have a Corgi, but for health and wellness stuff, like it's people that I've read their book and I respect them. And I know that I trust their information or I've taken courses from them. And so you just have to, it's better to have like 10 people that you're following that are really smart people than 400 people that you're following that are idiots, right? Like, so just make your pool of information smaller, but more trustworthy. I actually come up with another question. I know you mentioned a lot about therapy and I know that mental health has become one of the biggest topics, especially in the modern era. And you want to go ahead and explain why people should consider possibly to go to therapy yeah. as I mean, a potential treatment, as a good yeah. treatment? Yeah. I mean, I think potential being the right word. I think like everything, it's about finding the fit. I love my therapist, um, but I had many therapists before her that I didn't. So I think, you know, we all just need a place to reflect whether that is um, journaling or with a spiritual advisor or with a friend. Um, the thing about therapy that's really nice is it's objective and they are there to hear you speak. So, you know, it's not like going to a friend and then they know you and they like, you know, they know and love you. So they're going to more likely take your side in a, in a debate. So it's nice. I mean, I've heard therapy described as a place to change the story in your head. Right. And so the idea is that you go and you have all these thoughts and like, you know, that you're right. And this person's wrong. And you know that this way of thinking is right. And this, and then you go. And after you've had a therapy session, you just have a little bit more objectivity. You have a little bit more space between you and your thoughts and you can have a conversation and with your thoughts, because that the truth is, is that just because we feel something and just because we think something doesn't make it true. Um, and you know, we can be really anxious about something or really depressed or really feeling low and, um, stepping away and addressing your motivations and your emotions and your past history, uh, can be really, really helpful, but it doesn't have to be right. Like you don't need therapy to improve your mental health. You can get, improve your mental health by getting a dog and going for a walk. You can meditate again. Like, you know, if you're somebody who's spiritual, that's great. I think as long as you have a venue to, you know, allow yourself to connect with your thoughts and connect with why you're motivated to things and just sort of step back, uh, whatever that venue is for you is fantastic. You know, it could be the sound of the wind on your face as you sit by the ocean. I mean, I haven't, I, you know, I don't know, uh, but I know that's been really helpful for me. Uh, and it's really allowed me to call bullshit on a lot of my thoughts and, and things that I thought were absolutely true. Turns out are not always absolutely true. <laughs> uh, and, you know, it's really improved my relationship with my partner, James. Um, and just in general, it's improved my relationship with myself. She was very helpful when I was, you know, going through my disordered eating stuff. And I'm very grateful that I found her. Um, but not er not all therapists are created equal. Like not all personal trainers are as you know as good as a right. So, so much of it is just like finding the fit that works for you. And there's so many different types of uh, therapy, right? There's cognitive behavioral therapy, and there's um, dialectical behavioral therapy, and there's you know like psychoanalysis. And so you know it's about the person, it's about the fit. It's you know just I think my answer is similar to when we we're talking about exercise. It's like just be curious and see what works. righty, cool. So a tradition for at the end of the episode is I always ask a random question that is like outside of health and fitness. So okay, ready. So uh, what's your partner's name again? Uh, James. James. So I'm going to go ahead and 
add a romantic story into that. So um, how did you and your partner, James, actually met? Uh, we went to high school together. So we are high school sweethearts. We've been together for 20 years. We have had some time apart, um, you know, I think as most high school sweethearts maybe. Um, you know, so we dated in high school and then we broke up and then we dated in university and then we broke up and then we got back together. Um, but um, he's a really amazing guy. And I think that part of, you know, the evolution of getting older is like every time we broke up, then we would each date other people and be like, oh, we don't want to date other people. We want to date our, you know, and then we get back together and we've sort of grown up together and I love his family and, um, I hope he loves my family and yeah, he's great. He's, he's, he's good. But it's, you know, it's interesting. Like we've just, we really have like, he's a very, we're both very similar to when we met each other and very, very different, which is what's cool about being human is you keep that sort of internal core of who you are, but you have, there's such possibility for growth and for change. Yeah. Um, I knew some people who, who are in the older demographic. They told me that, their mindsets do change quite a lot comparing to their younger selves. So the thing is, when it comes to me right now, I'm currently 23 years old right now. And I don't know what my personality is going to be like 20 years from now. So, so how cool is that though? That's, that's, I mean, that's, yeah. Yeah, and like it goes, I think that's sort of the theme of today is just like how cool being human is, right? And we don't know. Um, all we can do is sort of think, okay, like what's my integrity and how do I want to act and what, you know, make choices that serve me. And then you sort of see kind of what happens. Anyways, uh, when it comes to one of the last questions I would like to ask you is what are your current fitness goals? Yeah, I thought about that question. Um I think really my current fitness goal is just to continue to be kind to my body and, and myself and find that middle ground. Like my hip is still, I'm still dealing with that and doing my physio and I have to be very conscientious about doing my physio every day so it doesn't act up. And my natural bias is to be pretty extreme about things as we sort of have talked about throughout these two hours. And so I'm learning in my, in my, I'm almost 40, you know, and to find that middle ground. Um, I'm, I love uh, Aristotle and he talks about the golden mean, which is basically what we've been talking about, this, this middle ground. And he says that every virtue has vices on either side. So, you know, if you're courageous, if you're too courageous and you're a soldier, like you get killed. If you're not courageous enough, you don't even go to war, right? It's like being brave enough to get into the game, but not being stupid to die. And that's sort of what I'm working on right now with my fitness is I need to be, you know, in it enough that I, you know, I keep moving and I'm active. I mean, I'm very, I love being active. So, but not like, you know, run enough to keep myself happy, but not so much, don't run so far that I like re-injure my hip and, you know, do my physio. And so, um, I guess my, my exercise goal is to find that golden mean of movement to move enough that I'm happy and healthy and to not move so much that I get injured. <laughs> Alrighty. Other than your fitness goals, uh, do you have other career goals or other personal goals that you would like to achieve at some point? Yeah, I mean, there's lots of things that I'm sort of thinking of. Um, so thinking of a third book, I'm thinking of, um, you know, going back to school for massage therapy. And now that um, COVID is, you know, sort of coming into a different phase, like in Canada, we took it very seriously, you know. So I had stopped doing, I, before COVID, I was doing a lot of like motivational speaking. I'd like to get back into that because I love it now that we're sort of getting back out into the world. Um, I do... Um, 
so yeah, those things I'm, I, I have level two fashion stretch therapy certified. So I'd like to go do my level three. Yeah. There's lots of sort of fun things. I think that's one of the, again, like the nice things about just being human is there's always something to learn. So my, my goal is to always just basically to keep learning. Since you're do like some motivational speaking, what particular settings do you go to? Oh, it's a good question. Um, and if I, I have the document that I can bring up if you want, but, um, I, I, I like doing uh, lunch and learns that are really fun. You know, you just go in for 45 minutes while people are in their lunch. I mean, really, honestly, anything. I've gone back and done some speaking at U of T, which is the university I did my master's at. I've gone um, and done some stuff at a uh, university in, in Montreal, which is another city here in, in Canada. Um, uh, but mainly, I just like any venue where I can encourage people to sort of stop worrying about doing the perfect thing and just go and do the thing, right? Like that's, if people take anything from today's conversation, it's just like, you don't have to be great to start, but you do have to start to get great. Like just start today, do what you can do today. Something is better than nothing. You know, uh, my therapist said to me a couple of days ago in our session, she said like, we we're talking about something. And I, she said, listen, it doesn't have to be you know, your final step. It just has to be the next step. Like take a step now and then decide on the step after that. But if you, you need to just do something, um, and then, and then go from there. You know, the first step is the most important because it gets you going, but it's not where you stop. It's just where it's just the first step. Right. Right. So, alrighty. That's all the questions that I have for you today. So, uh, you want to go ahead and ask me some questions if you can think of any so you don't have necessarily have to so i I want to give you some input oh no i mean i feel like we've um you know we've been chatting for two hours so i think we're i think we're pretty good i mean maybe you want to what's your biggest you know i just sort of said my takeaway to the listeners which is like you don't have to be great to start you do have to start to get great you know take the first step what would be yours i guess let's finish off with your you know your final piece of advice to everybody you know, listening, is there something? Yeah, I would say pretty much the whole moral of the story of the this two-hour conversation is only compare yourself to yourself. That's Everybody's right. destiny is different. Yes, we all have the same goal in mind is to become healthier versions of ourselves mm-hmm. mentally and physically. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to the, the advice from people like Kathleen gives you like the best guideline mm-hmm. that's going to help you achieve that specific goal. So, and well, then, oh, yeah. Can I add to what you just said? <laughs> yes, go ahead. Keep going. We'll just be here for five hours. So I'm just going to say one last thing um, connected to what you were saying. What I would tell my clients is make sure your ladder is against a wall that you actually want to climb. Cause that is the right. thing in wellness. It's so often we have goals that are somebody else's goals and we climb up this ladder and we work so hard and then we get to the top of the ladder and we're like, what? I don't even want to be here. Right? So every choice that you make is going to get you closer to something. So make sure that that something is somewhere you actually want to be and get to. So figure out what health looks like on you, right? Is it being better at a particular sport? Is it being more mobile? Is it like whatever? Like maybe you're worried about dementia in your family because that's in your, you know, in your genetic history. So then maybe you're, you want to exercise because that um, helps starve off some of, the, some of the dementia stuff, right? Like it's so good for the brain movement, right? So figure out what your goals are and then work towards that. And how I put that to my clients is make sure your ladder is against a wall that you actually want to get up. 
Right, exactly. Go ahead and do what you want. So, anyways, Kathleen, I really enjoy having you here on the Fitness Your Future podcast, and I really appreciate you taking two hours of your time and then and then actually being very patient with me on this. This is actually the first virtual interview that I ever had in this platform. So once again, thank you very much for staying patient with me. And also, like I said to every guest that I had so far, there is no rule of like having you once here. And I always told that every single guest in my podcast is worthy to have like their own sequel episode. And I know you're going to achieve a lot more stuff. Like, especially having that possible third book ahead of you and then also going back to school to add more, to add something under your huge list of credentials. And if we would have list each and every single thing on your credentials, we would be here all day. So You're very sweet. Thank you. Well, I would love to come back anytime. It was a wonderful, wonderful conversation. Um, And you're awesome. And really good question. You asked me a number of things that I've never been asked before, which I really appreciate. All righty. Thank you. Uh, We'll definitely have a future conversation down the road. So anyways, uh, I really hope you have a good rest of your day and and good luck to your future endeavors Alrighty, that concludes the kathleen trotter story i appreciate each and every single one of you for listening to this long episode of the fitness your future podcast if you people are interested with working with kathleen you can actually join her next coaching program it actually starts in November. Her program is called the Kick Your Ass with Compassion program, which is a badass name for a program, by the way. So if you want to find out more about her program, check out her website, which is called KathleenTrotter.com. Also, Kathleen also sent me some copies of her books, so... Sometime down the road, we will be doing a giveaway of some sort. So I'll get that figured out eventually. Other than that, that's all that I got for you today. And I'll talk to you later. Peace!